thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, we are the Messiah's family, and we'll be reading from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. All at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Is that about the cutest thing you ever saw? I mean, thank you to, thank you to the Messias family, Eric, Jeanette, and Malia, who did not have to read a word. But uh, thank you for reading our scripture today. Well, happy Father's Day. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah, you can applaud for fathers. How, <clears throat> happy Father's Day. Known in some United Methodist circles as Associate Pastor Preach Day. So uh, uh, if those of you who are expecting uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Lust, Jeff is uh, off visiting his mom. And we pray for them, for him and Mary, as they travel out to West Texas and, and travel, travel back. So, uh, it's Father's Day. And you know, in the, have you ever been to, uh, I grew up in the Baptist church, but when I became a Methodist, they had this curious, uh, curious uh, practice of, of, on Mother's Day, presenting mothers with flowers, right? Do you remember that? We, we didn't do that this year. Sorry, moms. But I was thinking I might have gotten, for Father's Day, I probably should have gotten a box of matchlight, you know, and then given everybody a briquette or something as they were. That wasn't very funny at 9.45 either. Okay, forget it, forget it. Okay, but I do have some dad jokes. You know dad jokes? Okay, let's try this. The smallest person in the Bible, you know who that is? Nehemiah. Thank you so much, Liz, for laughing. Uh, did you know Joshua was an orphan? Because he was the son of none. They don't get any better, okay? They don't get any better. What, I love this one. What do you call it when Batman skips church? Christian Bale. Yeah, I like that one. That one's good. That one's good. And then, how did Pharaoh's daughter get rich? She went to the bank of the Nile and withdrew a little profit. That's all I got. Thank you for worshiping with us today at Stonebridge United Methodist Church. Okay, if you didn't notice, we're in the 70s. The 70s. I borrowed this from McKenna, okay, the student pastor, okay? 
Some, you, I was talking earlier with, uh, with Andy Prince. He was reminding me of how you make these things. You know, you get the rubber bands and you stick them in the... In the yeah, I just I did not do that here. These were state-of-the-art basketball shoes at Horace Mann Junior High in San Antonio, Texas when I was growing up, okay? These are not the same shoes. My wife gets on me for keeping old things, so I, I, these are new-ish. We're in the 70s. A couple of weeks ago, we were in the 50s. The, 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 the music was rock around the clock, and the message was that our worship is not simply in this space at this time. It's always and everywhere for everyone. It's 168 hours a week, not an hour. A week. And then the next, the week after that, it was, I heard it through the grapevine. I always think of those grapes walking around. You know that commercial? You remember that commercial? Somebody get a witness for me? Okay. What do we hope people are saying about us and our faith through the grapevine? Well, we hope that our faith is grounded in a love that is extravagant, that's reckless even, brave. According to 1 Corinthians, a love that does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily, answer, or, uh, easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. And now we're in the 70s, and the song uh, was Desperado. You've you, you got to let somebody love you. Amen. So before we get started, let's have a prayer. Gracious God, give us diligence to seek you, the wisdom to find you this day. May our ears hear your voice, your eyes see your goodness, our tongues proclaim your name, and our hearts feel your love as we commit our whole selves to you. In the name of Jesus, the Christ, we pray. Amen. Yep, so we've reached the 70s, my middle school and high school years, and a couple of years of college, so you, 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 you do the math, you'll figure it out, right, where, I, where that puts me. Chucks and tie-dye. This was a time of, it was unsettled, right, and a time of transformation. So I've got a couple of, couple of slides. I want to see if the guys will put them up for me. Um, first, uh, fashion, right? It was transformational in terms of fashion, right? We never want to see that again, okay? That leisure suit needs to go, all right? So it was transformational in fashion. Entertainment, transformational in entertainment. You can see we have the cone heads. That's, that's a reference to Saturday Night Live that started in the 70s. And then the Star Wars Enterprise. Who knew it would grow to 87 films or whatever it is now? But, you know, star, the first Star Wars, happened, Star Wars film happened in the 70s. Technology, the Apple II computer in the 70s, and the pocket calculator. And today, the pocket calculator is as powerful as the Apple II computer, right? Yeah. In medicine, Louise Brown, those days she was called a test tube baby. Today we call it in vitro fertilization. But back then, it was remarkable. It was transformational. It was a miracle. Celebrities, we have a picture of Elvis. It, 
Now, a lot of folks think when Buddy Holly died, that was the day the music died. You know, Don McLean would, would, would make that claim. But a lot, for a lot of folks, when Elvis passed away, that was the day the music died. In politics, we have this iconic picture of, of Nixon, the president that resigned, facing impeachment. Nixon um, got on the chopper and left the White House. If we had a little more time, I'd show you the picture of Elvis and Nixon in the White House. That also happened in 1970. Uh, but our politics had changed. In geopolitics, the 70s marked the end of the Vietnam War and the beginning of a, of a decades-long, and some might even say continuing, animosity between factions in the Middle East and the United States when the Iran hostage crisis started. And then in, in a kind of, I don't know, kind of poignant way in architecture, the Twin Towers were completed in the 70s. In society, it was a time of unrest. I've got four pictures up there. One of those pictures commemorates the the, or is a famous, it's an iconic picture of the killings at Kent State University in 1970. The other picture mentions on the sign Jackson State, which was another killing of students who were protesting. That happened before Kent State, same year. There's a picture there that lets us, uh, evokes the, the, the burgeoning cultural studies movement that happened. African-American studies departments, Latino studies departments, and then in, soon into Asian studies departments. There was a heightened awareness of cultural background. And then the pride flag demonstrates that LGBTQ issues became more prominent in the 70s. I, you know, I, grew, I, I was born in 1959. I hadn't heard of what gay was until the 70s. And I've developed an appreciation for our LGBTQ friends and brothers and sisters. And then the last one shows that the 70s were also a time when the United Methodist Church, for the first time ever, declined in membership. 10.8% decline. So the 70s were transformational. Thanks, guys. Transformational, and they were unsettled. Things were never going to be the same again. So that brings us to the text today. You know, I got so wound up in the 945, I almost forgot to read the scripture. So I'm very thankful for the Messiah's family for picking me up this morning. Um, so we have this story. We have the rich young ruler. He's got it made, right? He's, this story is actually in all the synoptic gospels, so I think it's pretty important. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. We're going to pay attention to the, Mark, to the Mark passage for a reason that'll become clear in a minute. But the, this rich young ruler, he's invariably called the, a rich young man. He's got it made. He's got wealth, he's got power, he's got influence. But I think something's not right, you know? He's kind of unsettled. He's not sure. When he sees Jesus walking down the road, he runs up to Jesus, and he falls down on the ground 
to worship him. So this is not one of those animosity-filled sort of challenges to Jesus. You know, you've read about those. It's not the Pharisees testing him. This is an honest, uh, sincere young man who's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've been doing all the right things. But he still wasn't sure about that. And what did Jesus do? Well, first, I want you to note that in the Mark passage, it said Jesus loved him. The Greek word in, the, in this text, agape, eason, agape, right? It's the verb form. This is the same word that's in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Right? So this is, this is deep love. Jesus loved him. But he also challenged him. He said, well, you call me good. Remember, he, uh, the man said, good teacher. And Jesus said, you call me good. There is no one good but God, which was a proper response of a, of a, of a, of a good Jew at that time. And some commentators think the man was kind of looking for some validation. He was kind of hoping that Jesus would say, you know, you're pretty good too. Thanks. But that wasn't happening. Jesus said to him, have you, have you obeyed all the commandments? And the man was like, yes, sir. I've checked my boxes. It's a sermon for another day to explore the commandments that weren't included in that list. If you look at the list of the commandments that were included, Jesus was asking him how those commandments were we treat other, about how we treat other people. And he had done all of that. What he left out were the commandments about relationship with God. Hmm, curious omission. But he had done everything he was supposed to do. And he wanted to know, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And I guess... To me, the question is, what can we do to inherit anything? You just have to be in the family. Now, we're going to put Jacob aside. Remember him? He's the tricky guy that tried to trick his brother out of the birthright. Okay, we're not going to go there. But we, we just have to be. You know, Jesus' love had this, this genuine quality. It sort of penetrates the man is earnest. The rich young ruler is earnest, but he's mistaken because his rule following hasn't gotten him any closer to the kingdom of heaven. Because Christian transformation, the business that Jesus was in is about being, not doing. Christian transformation is about being, not doing. Jesus isn't looking for rule following. In his realm, you know, he kind of got he kind of got on top of rule followers. You know, he wasn't he didn't have a lot of patience for them. Remember the Pharisees? They were they were the champion rule followers of the New Testament. And he was always button heads with those guys. No, Jesus is looking for transformation, right? What did he tell Nicodemus? Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus, being sort of a literal guy, was like, how do we do that? Paul, from Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. 
or the King James, I really like that, a new creature. Right? You're not just brushed up, you know, shaved, haircut, nails. No, you're a new creature. Everything old has passed away. Earlier in this passage, Jesus says, you have to become as a little child, like Lucy, to enter the kingdom of God. A little bit after this passage is this troubling, this troubling part of the, of the story or the, of the account that says, where Jesus says to the disciples, and he completely flummoxes them for the 87th time, is, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but as I think about my 401k and where I sit in this world, I kind of tighten up a little bit. I'm like, hmm, that's provocative. Now, you may have heard some explanations of that passage, right? The gate in the Jerusalem wall that's real narrow and the camel can get through but they have to get on their little knees and take off all the stuff that's on the back and they have to crawl through the gate. Has anybody heard of that? Can I get a witness? Anybody raise their hand? Have you heard? Yeah, you've heard that. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid to tell you, friends, the historical evidence for that is pretty slim. It's a great explanation. Probably not a gate like that. No, Jesus meant what he said. Hyperbole. And the message, of course, at this point is that that it's not about rich folks not going to heaven. Okay? Everybody, breathe a sigh of relief. No. The message is we cannot transform ourselves. All these impossible aspects that Jesus says is, are necessary for this transformation to enter the kingdom of God, they're impossible. They cannot be done. You cannot become a child again. You, a camel doesn't go through the eye of a needle. So that means this transformation is, is not a thing that we can do ourselves. Divine love is the driver of growth and change. It's transforming. Now, this is, not, this is sort of a, an obscure part of, the, part of the text, but you can almost hear Jesus say to the man when he's d- disappointed as he leaves, come on, desperado, let somebody love you. Because if you do that, it, things will never be the same. And that's a loose translation of the Aramaic. You know, that's the Glenn Fry uh, version of that. Things will never be the same. All right. Ken Wilber, writer, philosopher, he, uh, he describes this transformation this way. He says there's four aspects to the transformation. Growing up, cleaning up, waking up, and showing up. That's not a to-do list. I know we all want to make to-do lists. That's not a to-do list. He's describing the process, right? So growing up. Growing up is the maturation process. It's where we discover that it's not all about us. We just had a week with a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old grandchildren living at our house. Our daughter was there, they were closing on a house, and the housing closing got delayed by a week. Yikes. 
But now I know exactly what it means to, to think that the world, I'm reminded of thinking that the world completely revolves around me, right? My, my grandson, Blake. The world revolves around him. And all you grandparents are like, yeah, uh-huh, sure does. <laughs> Cleaning up. Cleaning up is about tending to the log in our own eye rather than the speck in our neighbor's eye. Jesus was pretty clear about that. It's about self-awareness and self-honesty. Waking up is about those, those times when we are so close to God, we feel it. You know, we talk about it as mountaintop experiences. My wish for all of us is that those experience beca- experiences become more, more common so that we, we're not sort of remembering and then as days gone by, but that it happens more frequently. The Celtics call this the rare locales where the distance between heaven and earth collapse. Thin spaces. You know, where you can feel like you can almost reach. And then showing up. Richard Rohr, Franciscan priest, um, founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation. If you want to read more about him, I encourage you to go to that website. But he says that showing up is about bringing our hearts and our minds into the actual suffering and problems of the world. This is where we experience God's love, the divine love in the most full way. So it's not a to-do list, okay? But we do have a few things to do because sometimes stuff gets in the way of those that stages. Things block what's happening. That development that happens when we grow up, clean up, wake up, show up, it's blocked. I drive 380 every day from Denton. Sometimes I'm not very grown up on 380. I kind of revert to my, you know, really tragic self, okay? Cleaning up. What gets in the way of cleaning up? Sometimes we're overly critical of others. Hey, look at that speck. Right? Waking up. As I mentioned, there's 168 hours in the week. If this is the only hour that we're thinking about our relationship with God, I think we have a little room to grow, eh? And then showing up, this involves hard questions, questions I want to avoid. Questions of racism, questions of poverty, questions of my privilege. And what does that mean? How do we get to root causes of problems? Those are hard conversations. And if we avoid them, We're not showing up. Can you imagine if we were all on this transformational journey together, what the church would be like? You know, we're coming out of a pandemic. I mean, we sort of talked about it ad nauseum, right? Every, every sermon in America, it's like we're coming out of the pandemic. But it is a pivot point for congregations everywhere. As we begin to open up, as we begin to sort of rethink, okay, we get to restart. This is a rebirth. This is a transformation. What would it look like If, if the church was full of transformational Christians, we'd have to get a few more chairs out here. We'd have wait lists for small groups. Baptisms, many. Professions of faith, overwhelming. We'd be active in the, more active in the community. We'd build on the, build on the current serving ministries to be even more active in the community. 
community, solving problems, bringing God's love to a hurting world. So the rich young ruler, you know, Jesus wasn't saying, get rid of your wealth because you're wealthy. He said, get rid of your wealth because it's in the way. It's keeping you from doing. It's keeping you, not from doing, from experiencing, from being truly transformed by my divine love. Jesus taught a way of being, not doing, not even believing. We cannot transform ourselves through roof-following, finger-pointing, because we're never going to be good enough on our own. But the hope is that the divine love is available to all. And it's transformational. Another thing, in a nod to John Wesley, we are not ever truly transformed but we're continuing on this transforming journey. You get it? Yeah. We're moving on to perfection. Perfect Christian love. Paul said this, If I speak in the tongues of men, people, or angels, and I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So in the words of the song, you've got to let somebody love you. Because if you do, Things will never be the same. Let it be so. Let's pray. Lord, we seek the transformation only your love can achieve. Empower us to let go of those things that keep us from experiencing your full embrace, your complete love, your saving and sanctifying grace. Transform us beginning today. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.